Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. Many countries around the world are adopting central bank digital currencies, also known as CBDCs for short. I highlighted this in this week's issue of Nifty Business Week, which can be read at niftybusinessweek.com. However, I did not really go into depth. Today, we'll look under the hood of Jamaica's CBDC and discuss what we can expect for countries that are adopting them now. I see varying numbers, but as many as 70 countries either have adopted CBDCs or are currently working on it, the largest being China. However, the U.S. and many other Western countries are also working on it. Jamaica is the second Caribbean country to adopt CBDCs, and today I was really looking into the information, doing a lot of research on it. But to really understand all of this, I have to really break down the different types of digital currencies. First, the most common one that everyone's going to know and be familiar with is electronic currencies or e-cash. And that is simply the regular money that we do spend the cash when we're going to the bank and we get our notes and we're spending it. But the difference is this is just on the screen. This is what you'll see when you look at your bank account and you're transferring it via ACH. You're using Zelle, Cash App, or PayPal, or just bank-to-bank transfers. That's e-cash. It is not printed and it's just numbers moving on the screen. And even really when you're using your credit card and processing transactions, no physical cash is moving around. It's numbers that are just going from one bank's computer to the other bank computer. That is eCash, something we've been using now for decades, and everyone's pretty familiar with that. Then there is cryptocurrencies, and anyone that's really into this Web3 space, collecting NFTs and really all of this, they should understand cryptocurrencies. But just to give a quick summary, cryptocurrency is a private currency usually decentralized. It is immutable. All this information is being stored on a blockchain. And with the exception of El Salvador at the point of recording this, it is not legal tender in any country. So this is not backed by any kind of government or any central bank. It is the blockchain and the people that have their full faith in it that are giving this value, whether it is for transacting value or storing value as as tender back and forth, but it is not legal tender backed by any sort of government. It is backed by the faith in the people, the system, and the blockchain. There is no middle party such as a bank involved with it. All of these things are directed on the blockchain through this ledger. Now, CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, as they sound, are issued by the central bank, which is the same authority that is issuing the currency for that particular country. And it could be debatable whether this is a governmental agency or a private agency as well. So these governments like to say, unlike cryptocurrencies, it is not private. However, if you really look into it, the one that I'm most familiar with the way the central banks are, but everyone is really modeled after this, is the U.S. Central Bank. And that is a private entity, believe it or not. It is not owned by the government, the U.S. Treasury. So this is debatable when they're speaking about this is a governmental currency. Eh, Is it really? I don't know. You'd have to really look into it depending on your currency, how things go. But central banks are the ones that issue the currency for a particular country. And all of these transactions in this CBDC system is going to be stored on a centralized database, which they own and control. And this is going to be legal tender. So this is the equivalent, has the same value as whatever dollar or denomination of currency being used in that particular country. In the case of Jamaica, it is the Jamaican dollar. In the U.S., it is the U.S. dollar. Or over in China, it is the yuan. So there's the digital yuan and then there's the actual physical yuan. It makes no difference. 
they have the same value and the same entities controlling both. Now, just diving into this, what is the Jamaica Digital Exchange, also known as Jamdex, as they're explaining it, they're rolling out to the citizens right now. They've been testing it really since about December, but now it's being released to the public and they're inviting everyone onto it. They're giving $2,500 incentives. That's $2,500 in Jamaican dollars, by the way. So in US dollars, that's about... or so, depending on the exchange rate. I'd have to calculate that out. So as far as that is the incentive, trying to get people onto it to use this thing. Now, you might be wondering, why are they trying to do that? They're trying to really get this adoption as quick as possible. People down here are very skeptical of banks. Digital currencies is just another thing that's going to be a hurdle. And they need an incentive to really get into it. As far as the people on the island, there's a lot of unbanked people that are just transacting strictly in cash. So that incentive is needed to bring people on. Now, The whole pitch for this is that it settles in seconds. It is free. There is no fees. So you're not dealing with a bank with all those different fees. This is a central bank issued currency. So unlike the digital currencies or the e-cash, that money is held by whatever depository institution. So I'll just use uh, national banks or a worldwide bank that everybody should know. Let's say it is Citibank or let's say it is Barclays Bank, whatever it is. When you are using electronic bank, you're actually using those funds that particular institution controls. And let's say you're sending it over to Chase or to any other institution, then you're going to send it into their depository base. So that's how that works. But with the CBDC now, this is actually the central bank's currency. It is not with whatever bank it is that's issuing it. It is with the direct issuing body that is printing the currencies, sending the currency out and controlling the monetary flow of that specific region. Now, with this, how this is going to be interacted, how the citizens are going to be able to receive this money and send this money is with an app on the cell phone. And also, this digital currency is convertible back into physical dollars. So whichever institution is in control of the wallet, so let's say my local bank is the one who's issuing that wallet, I can go to them and exchange this one for one for the local dollars. So that is just how it is all going to work out. But how it is seamless transition between the end user and getting from digital to physical is at an ATM or whatever service provider that they actually set up in for these wallets. It should be a seamless transition. At least that's how they're advertising. Only time will tell, but that's what the plan is for right now. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. The issuing banks, such as down here would be a Bank of Nova Scotia, NCB, and, and a Citibank. Quite a few other banks are down here. But the way they're going to roll out their different wallets for each of these banks, and they're going to issue them for free for the people to use. However, all of these transactions are going to be with the central bank's money, not the issuing bank's money. So that might be very interesting. Why would a bank want to have these apps that they're providing this service for these people and it is free? Wouldn't that cut into their uh, business model, all of their profits and everything? First and foremost, the central bank is the one that controls the monetary policies, the monetary value. So if they don't want to issue out any money to any of these banks, they really don't have to. So in that sense, they don't really have any choice, they have to go along with it. But how they're going to make money and how they're going to be on board with this is they're transitioning their model now to basically be 
in the big data business. And in the sense that these wallets are going to include all of the transactions, all of the data, all of the information. So just think of how Facebook, Google, all of those companies, they're logging your activities, then they're making suggestions as to what products to uh, offer to you and what to sell to you. It's based on your history, what you're interested in and those things. So these banks are now in that business. Now, when someone starts to spend this CBDC at a gym, I would not be surprised to see that they start to get offers from that particular bank for different health benefits, insurance, things related to fitness and what have you, anything of that nature. If you go to the various uh, doctors, these insurance rates might even adjust based on what they're working with with the bank. So now they're in this whole data business. So obviously, there is a lot of privacy concerns. The central bank, their stance is that they're not getting any of this personalized data. And that's really up to the issuing company that is owning the various wallets, so whatever local bank, and they're the ones who are storing all the data. So that doesn't make any of us feel any better in the sense that someone is definitely tracking all of this stuff. And I guess you could say it's really no different than if you use your debit card. But let's say you are going to a nightclub or uh, something for that matter, and you don't really want people to know that this is uh, something that you're engaged in. Well, now that is going to be tracked. So in that option, people are going to want to use cash. But the way this is actually rolling, they are going to phase out cash eventually. And I know that might seem far-fetched. However, having this model with the CBDC and not having physical cash, it does a lot of things. What it actually does is it prevents a lot of fraud, it prevents tax evasion, and it really helps the government to control the citizens in a sense. And that might sound like I'm just being a Mr. Tinfoil Hat coming with some sort of conspiracy. But when you really think about it, even what we currently have with electronic cash, when someone is doing some sort of illegal activity, they're not going to use a credit card or a debit card or do some sort of wire transfer because we've all seen the movies. That is how they get caught. That is how they get tracked. They uh, track all the funds going from offshore accounts and going through cell phone transactions and all sorts of things. That is really how they track down to find out where things are going to happen. And if you look recently with the various uh, scammers that were caught, which is a great thing, don't get me wrong, that the rug pullers and the various people that were committing sort of frauds through uh, blockchains and using these uh, technologies to try to get their payout, they just tracked all that money and figured out exactly where they're going. And they were able to apprehend the people. And this just made the news just the other day that the FBI cracked down and caught two rug pullers in the US. And also, a few months ago, there was a big, huge headline saying that the scammers from this multi-billion dollar exchange heist were caught simply by transferring some Bitcoin and funds in order to get a Walmart gift card. And when they were able to do that, they tracked down everything and they were able to track down the people that supposedly stole, I think it was $6 billion worth of Bitcoin from an exchange. So no one is crying for those people. Yes, they were thieves. They got caught. Awesome. We all celebrate that. However, there is legitimate privacy concerns in the sense that what if certain activities become illegal. I'll just use something that everyone does is let's say they have a gasoline sports car and we see how things are going right now with different rations and sanctions and so forth. If the government says no, no gasoline should be used, anyone that purchases gasoline will be fined or arrested, and you have your uh, sports car or you have a chainsaw or whatever it is that you need some gasoline to run, whatever, uh, they track this down and they clamp down. And just because they're not agreeing with Russia or whoever, 
and decide to move away from gasoline, now you're going to be in trouble because you made that purchase and it's verifiable through this database and they could track it all down. That could be a very scary thing. Now, you might be saying that's against the law. So what if it's something like the type of music or the political party that you support or if it is the religious institution that you make donations to? What if one of those things becomes illegal and there's some sort of regime change and it becomes totalitarian? Now, this is a serious problem over in even China. And that is why they're so much uh, they're so against cryptocurrencies and they only want their digital yuan being used is because they can actually control the flow of money. They can monitor what the citizens are spending their money and time. And it's, it's very interesting, if nothing else. And also, when there's stimulus checks and all sorts of things are trying to uh, shape the way the economy actually goes, the way it currently happens right now is they send out a check. But what it ends up happening is some people such as myself, instead of using it to make new purchases and uh, stimulate the economy, they use it to pay off debts. They use it for other things that were already paid for in the sense that those purchases were already made. However, if the government says this is a stimulus check, we're sending out this money, but we want you to spend it in a particular sector or we want you to use it by a certain time, then you have to do that because that digital money can expire or it can be removed from your account. Unlike, say, a cash, once you get the check and you deposit that money into your account, it could be very different. But with this digital currency, central bank currency, it could have an expiration date and they can revoke it or limit what you actually spend it on. So it could be very interesting. It could be beneficial in the sense that if one industry needs a particular spur, let's say green, some environmentally friendly industries that might be a problem in a particular community, whatever it might be, and they want to direct it towards that area. However, at the same time too, control and things could get out of hand very quickly. So depending whose hands this is in, they could go uh, either for good or for bad. But only time will tell. And I'm not going to uh, sit here and spread all of this conspiracy theories and get everyone all worked up. But I just want to say there is a huge difference between CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, and cryptocurrencies. The only thing that they really have in common is that they're digital. And there's also a difference even between electronic cash is what we've been used to for the longest time. And it is often at Advertise, and even I've said it to be honest, that CBDCs are just basically electronic cash. But there is a slight difference in the sense that the electronic cash is that depository institution's cash, their reserves, or if it's fractional reserves, it's they're allowed to lend out more than they actually have. But that is a different story in itself. And I'm not even going to go into all of that, how banks can lend money that they don't have. But that is very different than the central bank digital currencies because the central banks now, they're the ones who actually can create money out of thin air. And that's where CBDC money actually comes from. It comes from directly from the central bank. And again, that is another topic in itself. But if you really are interested in currencies and all of this thing, a book that I highly recommend, and I'll actually put it in the show notes, is The Bitcoin Standard. It is a long read. However, there is an audiobook for it. There's an ebook version of it as well, but I highly recommend it. It actually goes through currencies and all sorts of different things. So I really don't want to go into the depth of all of this, but it covers the history of currencies and it goes into why Bitcoin is unique, why cryptocurrencies are special and all of the different problems and issues that it solves. And also the fact that central bank money or central bank currencies are created out of thin air and really have no limit. But I'll keep it simple. I will land the plane there without going too much into depth. But if you're interested in any of this stuff, please feel free to reach out to me at Tropic Vibes, ask any questions, and I'll be sure to point you in the right direction. 
And if nothing else, I would love to hear what your opinions are. Are you for CBDCs, against CBDCs, or you don't care either way as long as you get your products and your services and things like that that you need. Anywho, I want to thank you for listening to this episode, going on this journey with me as we learn about Web3 and build this thing out together. And until the next one, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.